Shopify is a platform for selling products and building a business. Shopify is a large e-commerce company with hundreds of engineers and several different mobile apps. Shopify's engineering culture is willing to adopt new technologies aggressively, trying new tools that might provide significant leverage to the organization. And React Native is one of those technologies. React Native can be used to make cross-platform mobile development easier by allowing code reuse between Android and iOS. React Native was developed within Facebook and has been adopted by several other prominent technology companies with varying degrees of success. Many companies have seen improvements with their mobile development and release process, such as Discord and many other companies. However, in a previous episode, we talked with Airbnb about their adoption of React Native. That adoption was less successful. Of course, that was a few years ago. Farhan Thawar is a VP of Engineering at Shopify. He joins the show to talk about Shopify's experience using React Native, the benefits of cross-platform development, and Farhan's perspective on when it is not a good idea to use React Native. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog Synthetic API Tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. If a test fails, get more context by inspecting a waterfall visualization or pivoting to related sources of data for troubleshooting. Plus, Datadog's browser tests automatically update to reflect changes in your UI, so you can spend less time fixing tests and more time building features. You can proactively monitor user experiences today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog, and you will get a free t-shirt. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash Datadog to get that free t-shirt and try out Datadog's monitoring solutions today. Farhan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. You're the VP of Engineering at Shopify. You joined the company a year ago. What have you learned about how Shopify builds software that surprised you? Well, this is a very loaded question because two reasons it's loaded. One is that Shopify does many things differently. And I've been around the block enough to see how many companies approach software and Shopify is definitely different. And I would say it's loaded also because when I started at Shopify, it was the number one question people asked me. People kept asking me when I joined, what's the most surprising thing about Shopify? And so I think internally people know or feel like it is a different type of engineering environment. So I'll start off with like what I think is different. In many companies I've worked at, what the company tries to do is really focus on efficiency. And when you focus on efficiency, you really try to make teams as distributed and disaggregated as possible because you're really trying to focus on how do I make the team move quickly without running into another team. And what I found at Shopify is that this view, while can work in many instances, really leads you towards like a local maxima. So if you know exactly what you want to do and what you want to build, you can try to build the efficient team structure that'll get you there. And the Shopify view is, you know, we 
don't want to land on a local maxima. We want to build the right thing for merchants. And so what that means is introducing a little more ambiguity, introducing a little more friction so that you are rubbing up against other teams. And with that type of model, we believe we'll end up with a overall better long-term solution for our merchants. Most of the listeners are probably aware of what Shopify is. They've probably used it. How do users interact with Shopify on mobile devices? So there's two or three different audiences on mobile to interact with Shopify. So the one that most folks will know about is basically as the buyer. So if you're a buyer and Shopify you know, has hundreds and millions of buyers because we power all sorts of stores all over the internet, you will interact with it via mobile web. You'll be browsing for products, you'll interact with an e-commerce store, and then you'll do an entire purchasing flow over mobile web. And that's how you'll end up interacting with Shopify. And we make that as pleasant and as seamless as possible. And there's all sorts of amazing technology behind that to make it as fast and as delightful as we want our, our buyers to feel. So that's the first way. Another way to interact with Shopify over mobile is actually as a merchant. As you know, it's no surprise to any of your listeners, the mobile you know, ecosystem over the last you know, really 13 years since the iPhone came out has revolutionized how we operate. We don't, have, we don't feel like we have to be tied to our desks in order to do our jobs. And so many, many merchants interact with Shopify via Shopify mobile, which is our mobile apps. And that's a way to really feel like you can manage your entire storefront, your entire store from your phone or your tablet. And then the third way is as a retailer. So we're in an interesting time period right now with COVID-19, but as a retailer who has a retail storefront, we have our point of sale app. And so the point of sale app is really tailored to enable you to transact with your physical retail environment, store operations, reporting, inventory, all of those things will be managed. And again, that's a mobile application that uh, you'd be interacting with as someone who works in that retail store. As I understand, Shopify also has an API that is used quite widely. Do people build their own mobile apps on top of that API? Do people build mobile apps that use Shopify as an e-commerce backend API situation? Yeah, so you're hitting on one of the you know, not so secret secrets of Shopify and that we build things platform first. And what that means is we try to enable our engineering team to build upon the same APIs that we expect all of our partners to build on top of. And we do that because it allows everyone to be building on top of a, an amazing framework to enable things for our merchants. Now, on the e-commerce side is it's very similar to the mobile side in that you can build mobile experiences through those same APIs. And actually it's enabled in a few different ways. One is, is that you could enable a buyer experience and there are partners who do this all the time where they build an entire you know, mobile app for themselves, interact with the Shopify APIs, the Shopify platform, and build a really great buying experience that you may not be able to get from just using the mobile web and they want it to be completely custom. They want to potentially enable notifications and other types of interactions so they can build an entire mobile web, ex mobile experience, mobile app experience. There are 
partners that we work with as well that can help you build a mobile app experience. And then you can actually build things directly on top of our platform right into our POS as well. So there are many examples of partners building things that enable like loyalty or recommendations or clienteling right through our Shopify point of sale application. So you can build something that lives as part of an adjunct to the checkout, for example. So you might be in a retail store, you're gonna use the point of sale application to check out your customers. And during that flow, you're able to add in uh, loyalty numbers from uh, buyers. You're able to have clienteling apps. So as a retail staff, you might have some downtime, in which case you wanna message some of your VIPs and let them know about what's in your inventory or what could match with something you bought last week. And all those applications can live right inside the POS app as well. And they look and feel just like Shopify POS, point of sale when I say POS. Okay. Talking about Shopify's engineering culture, Shopify engineering tries to adopt new technologies pretty aggressively. So that will include React Native, as we'll talk about. On the other hand, Shopify is core infrastructure for its customers. How do you balance the adoption of new technologies while also maintaining high reliability? Yeah, it's a good question. It is part of the extension to my answer at the beginning in that Shopify does have quite a different engineering culture than most other companies. And the way I can explain it is the following. We really do care about new technology. We want to make sure that we use technology for as leverage, because that's what it is. However, we only want to adopt new technology if we feel like we're getting a step change in the leverage that we get from that technology. So it could be that the developer experience is much better. It could be we're going to get leverage on performance. It could be we're going to get leverage on the types of people we can hire. So there's all sorts of reasons why we want to get leverage and we'll only adopt the technology if it satisfies those conditions. We're not looking to pick at will any any new technology off the shelf just because it's new. We're not trying to do that. But we are trying to make sure that we have an opinion about the technology we choose. I would say the second thing we want to do is when we do choose something, we want to go all in. And so we're not taking something off the shelf and saying, okay, well, let's use it for this little side project in this one instance. What we're trying to say is, can this be a core primitive for Shopify engineering? And a good example is, you know, Ruby and Ruby on Rails. It's not the default choice for all applications in the world, as you know, but it is something that we've adopted quite early on. And when we adopt something, we become core contributors. We push back much to the open source community. We're able to have opinions about how it should work. And in the case of, you know, Ruby on Rails, we do really feel that it was a lever. It was able, it was, it made Shopify able to move very, very quickly in the early days and even in the late stages we are now. Like every, as you know, Shopify is still a big Ruby and Ruby on Rails shop. So that's the type of leverage that we wanna, we wanna get from technology. But in order for things to meet that bar, it goes through a, a process by which we can understand where we think we're gonna get that leverage. And then when we do adopt it, like I mentioned, we wanna become core to the community surrounding that technology. It's not something that people just say, oh yeah, Shopify also uses it. It's very clear that we use it because we're, we're in the community in a big way. Let's 
move towards a discussion of React Native, can you give me an overview of Shopify's mobile tooling infrastructure before the company started looking seriously at React Native? Sure. You know, in like I mentioned in, in earlier that in 07, when the iPhone came out, 08 was when the, you know, the, the App Store came out. This is the time that a lot of folks started realizing that every the smartphones would be everywhere. And the early days of application development, native was really the only choice you had. So native development on iOS and Android was really the only clear choice in, in which you can build uh, great mobile experiences. Now, there were other ways, but it was pretty normal for folks to try some of the alternate approaches, right? PhoneGap and Sencha, right? My background is actually from a mobile agency called Extreme Labs, and we had tested and tried many of these cross-platform frameworks, including HTML5. But at the time, the only thing that really gave you that high-performance, fluid UI experience was native development. And so that it's not surprising that that's where Shopify started also in building uh, mobile applications. Now, what's amazing about native application development is you're much closer to the metal. You have great tooling infrastructures from Google and Apple in this case. You're able to move along uh, that tool chain, easier debugging. And you know, before React Native came along, that was 100% of Shopify's mobile infrastructure. If you can avoid it, you don't want to manage a database. And that's why MongoDB made MongoDB Atlas, a global cloud database service that runs on AWS, GCP, and Azure. You can deploy a fully managed MongoDB database in minutes with just a few clicks or API calls. And MongoDB Atlas automates deployment and updates and scaling and more so that you can focus on your application instead of taking care of your database. You can get started for free at mongodb.com slash atlas. And if you're already managing a MongoDB deployment, Atlas has a live migration service so that you can migrate your database easily and with minimal downtime, then get back to what matters. Stop managing your database and start using MongoDB Atlas. Go to mongodb.com slash atlas. React Native originally came out in 2015, and Shopify looked at it for a while, but it was not sufficient back then. What were the shortcomings of React Native back in 2015 when the project first came out? Yeah, so you're right. It came out of Facebook in 2015, and that's actually the time that Shopify did their first deep dive. And I think what's true in all of these mobile frameworks is that Whatever you want to build is likely possible, but it might not be effective or efficient for you to build those apps in that way. And so what I mean by that is there are tried and true ways in which you want to spend your time building mobile apps. And if you're able to build something effectively in that platform and the output to the customer is actually compelling, you'll use that framework. And so in native development, it was the case that you could actually build native applications. It wasn't too onerous. And like I mentioned before, the debugging infrastructure was there, the tool chain was there, and people felt like, okay, this is a good use of engineering time, and I'm getting the appropriate output 
from native development such that my buyers in the Shopify case or, or my merchants would like this experience. React Native in 2015 was not like that. It was very onerous to build things. It did not have great Android support. And you know, one of the reasons to use a, a tool chain like React Native is to be able to get both platforms by building, you know, in theory, learn, they call it learn once, run anywhere. So you're mostly building on one platform. Maybe there's a small percentage of code that is, uh, that is unique to each platform, but otherwise it's shared code. And this was not the case in 2015. So there was a combination of performance problems, tool chain problems. A lot of things were actually still internal to Facebook at the time, so not fully open source. And of course, Android support. And the line that we used back then to describe our, our testing efforts were, was, we would not be able to build an app that we would be proud of using React Native at this time. What changed in that period of time since 2015? How did React Native get up to snuff such that the, the quality was good enough to build Shopify's apps? Yeah, so a few things changed. I mean, one was that much more support came to the ecosystem. And actually, maybe surprising to the listeners is that much of the infrastructure for React Native today came in the last year or so. So there's been a reinvestment from Facebook over the last year and a bit into React Native. And actually, maybe even going back two years, that really spearheaded the latest set of people jumping onto the framework. So React Native came out. There was you know, definitely some companies adopting it some adopting it and moving off of it. You've had a bunch of podcasts about Airbnb and React Native. And I would say really around 2018 and 2019 was when a lot of the push happened to get it up to where it was today. Now, what changed specifically? I think one was really first-class Android support. Two was a real focus on performance. Three was other companies contributing back to React Native such that it's not just Facebook. It's actually now you see Microsoft is there with much of the infrastructure help. Shopify is there now helping with uh, make it a real community project. So it's not just Facebook. And then you're starting to see really compelling applications being built um, that are really highly rated and also very popular come out in the App Store. And I think this was not necessarily true in the early days of React Native. There was lots of comments around like, well, show me some great apps and then people would show you great apps and they would say, oh yeah, but show me like a popular app or show me a top 10 app. And that wasn't the case then, but is the case now. So the benefits of React Native, I think it's worth exploring these in the context of Shopify because there are a lot of ways that React Native can provide a benefit. So it's in JavaScript, so you could theoretically pull in dependencies on the fly over the web. You can it's kind of cross-platform. You can theoretically port some code from one place to another. Tell me the benefits of using React Native in terms of Shopify. Yeah, so I think there's a few reasons why it was the right choice for Shopify and maybe the right choice for other companies. So one of the reasons that people want to look at a framework like React Native is definitely for cross-platform development. So you know, all of these mobile companies that build mobile apps and want to have uh, mobile applications in the App Store, they always try to look to one of these frameworks because they're trying to cut their development time in half. And I would say React Native was one of the first ones to come out 
which actually is now starting to feel, fulfill that promise. And you mentioned everything written in JavaScript. What that means for Shopify and many other companies is that you potentially can, can have your engineers who work on your desktop and mobile web contribute to your mobile project. So I think that's a, a really great example of having that learn once, write any, run anywhere ecosystem, right? If you're writing React on the web, you can, with, a, with some small tweaks, because React and React Native are not the same, with some small tweaks, actually be able to contribute to a mobile project that ends up being a native implementation on React Native. So I think that's important. I think too, um, one of the things that we found at Shopify was while we thought we'd get some code share between iOS and Android, I didn't think we were expecting the level of code share that we got. I was, you know, I've been around a while and I was expecting, you know, at a, at a high end, 70% or 80% code share, which is amazing, right? When you're talking about mobile that you could only have 10, you know, 20 to 30% of uh, a platform specific code, but we, we, we're seeing 95% and in some cases, 99% code sharing, which it's a much higher hurdle, of course, but it ends up making the application development that much smoother because now you've got a, an engineering team that's building on both platforms at the same time. And you're able to quickly experiment, get these things out to these ecosystems without having to implement them one off in each platform. That is a remarkable number of volume of code that you're able to share across the the native mobile apps. Can we just zoom in again on what are the mobile apps that we're talking about here? What are the native mobile apps that we're building in Shopify? Sure. So we have a bunch of different mobile services. So today for React Native, we have three different apps that are, uh, that are under development. So two are in production and one is coming later this year. So the two that are in production, one is the Arrive app. It's our consumer package tracking app that was originally built in, uh, for iOS. It was built in 2018. We got excited about React Native at the end of 2018 and started a rebuild in 2019 to rewrite it in React Native. And after re rebuilding it in React Native and then releasing it for Android, we saw a few interesting stats. One was, of course, the you know 95% code share. The other one was we saw a dramatic drop in crashes from deploying in React Native. And so, of course, there's you know, lots of reasons why that could be, but that's what we, over, uh, we saw overall. So that's the Arrive app. The second app that's in production is an app called Compass. So it's an app that helps entrepreneurs learn about the entrepreneurial ecosystem and eventually build out a Shopify store. And so that's also Android and iOS, and that's also built in React Native. And then the third app that is not yet released is um, for any platform is our all new point of sale. So as I mentioned, we have a point of sale software that allows mer uh, merchants to have a retail experience. We announced in 2019 that we're going to be, be launching a brand new point of sale in 2020. And so both we have an iOS version of that and a React Native version of that because we wanted to build them in parallel in order to understand um, how the platforms behaved in, in this environment. And the React Native version of that app will also launch in 2020. So one thing I I'm trying to figure out is the difference between Shopify and Airbnb. So we did this story about Airbnb and how they moved off of React Native because of certain difficulties that they had with the project. 
and Shopify, to me, in, in some ways, it's very similar to Airbnb. You have people making purchases. This is mission-critical software that delivers high amounts of value to people. Uh, it's very sensitive in, in, in some sense. But one difference I can see is that with Shopify, it's not the apps you're building are not as much on the critical path. I mean, in the case of the point-of-sale application, it's definitely still on the critical path. But it's a critical path that's not the... Well, I guess it is It is the, you know, people buy things through the critical, through the point-of-sale application. But maybe you could just give me your perspective on why didn't React Native work for Airbnb and why does it work for Shopify? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good question because that is the most popular question we got when we announced that we're moving to React Native. So I think a few things. So, you know, across all our mobile surfaces, they're definitely critical. You're right on the buyer side, that's mobile web. So there's probably in terms of the millions of people who are interacting with it, probably the the large majority will be on mobile web. But definitely for our merchants, you Shopify mobile. It's like a it's a it's their lifeline to managing their store and then retail for sure. You need to have a point of sale that allows you to transact and look up products and get details and look at variants, etc. So definitely there is mission critical uh, workflows happening through mobile. I would say that there's probably two or three big differences between us and Airbnb. I would say the first one is the timing. They were doing the, they, you know, they moved off of React Native in 2018. And that's really when we saw the investments from Facebook really going in. A lot of the rebuttals to their article from Facebook when there were, you know, very, you know, six part article came out was that everything that they were noticing, were noting as problems in the platform were actually being built by Facebook. Now, one response to that could be, well, you know, you can obviously announce things and, that are coming out, but when are they actually coming out and when are they going to be in the wild? So that's one criticism, but definitely some of the things were already on the roadmap and being addressed. That's number one. Number two is this cultural difference. So this happens in any company when you've got people who really believe in one ecosystem over another. And in this case at Airbnb, you had the native engineers versus the React native engineers. And this reminds me of, because at Shopify, we use Ruby and Ruby on Rails, the, you know, the Java people versus the Ruby people. It's very similar. If you're an engineer who really believes in a certain ecosystem of tools, and that's the tooling you've become expert in, and you don't feel like you want to try a new set of tooling, or you don't believe in the, you know, the new direction, then you might, be, you might get stuck in your tool chain. And I, and I think that's, you know, in, in the conversations I've had happened at Airbnb, where the native engineers really didn't come across to React Native. And so if you look at, you know, when I tweeted out the, our article, there was a lot of people replying to the tweet saying, hey, I was at Airbnb at the time, and a lot of it was cultural. So that's number two. And then number three is they did something which I still think is quite difficult, although Facebook does it, which is they were building a brownfield app. So a Brownfield app is an application that has a combination of native, like, like native mobile and React Native. And whenever you've got two completely different tool chains in your mobile app, it's really hard to reconcile between the two for many reasons. One reason being you really have to understand React Native well and native development on mobile well and then how they interact. So that's one issue. The other, the other issue is going to be from the customer side, like a, like a user. 
a user, it can come across jarring to the user when you're moving between native and React Native if the elements don't behave exactly the same or they behave differently between screens, especially transitions. And so all of those combined together uh, gave Airbnb a very poor experience in uh, moving to React Native, and so they decided to move back. Yeah, the separate tool chains seems particularly brutal. And I remember my conversations, or my conversation that I had in that show, it just sounded like the, the build process was difficult, the release process was difficult, networking was hard. Tell me about how that looks in a greenfield application. Well, in a greenfield app, so there's, again, there's a few things different now, right? We are two years later. So a lot of the, and, and so two years later, and Facebook has reinvigorated the amount of work that they're doing on React Native. So a lot has changed. So there are many better tools. I think actually, you know, even actually as, as recently as a year ago, just upgrading React Native was a real pain in the ass, right? A lot of people would say, oh my God, I have to like React Native, a new version of React Native will come out. And actually the, the upgrade cycle was weeks of work. And that process has now largely gone, you know, gone the way of like, it's a no-op where the upgrade can happen quite seamlessly. Greenfield applications though, because of their nature of you're building everything in JavaScript, you're trying to minimize the amount of native code because again, you want to have the effectiveness of having those engineers work in one tool chain. You want it to be cross-platform. So you're able to quickly build things in JavaScript now, have them be deployed against both platforms and not worry about this interaction of, am I going to now iOS or Android? Do I need to understand iOS or Android in a very deep level, at a very deep level in order to make this a great application? All of that goes away. How do I deal with transitions? Is it jarring? Now, what's amazing about Greenfield applications today as well is you can still build in native components, but that's quite different than having a native app and trying to expose React Native views in that native app. So today, if you're building a React Native app and you realize that there's some sort of funky graphical UX that can only be done using native, you still have the leverage to drop into native and build that component natively. But that's quite, quite different than uh, trying, to, trying to take an existing native app and incorporate um, React Native into it. That being said, one of the things that was interesting to me that got pointed out to me as I was, you know, when I tweeted this article out, uh, our article was about us moving to React Native, was the a few engineers who reached out to me to say, hey, we'd love to do a session with Shopify to show you how we think about moving brownfield apps to React Native, meaning taking your native apps, incorporating React Native views into them, and then eventually over time, having them convert to be 100% React Native. And did you meet with those developers who are cognizant of how to do brownfield application development? Yeah, so we're still chatting with those folks. It's still, there isn't a, even when I approached them, there wasn't a tried and true. It was more of a conversation to figure out how we're thinking about it, how they're thinking about it. But I think this is a huge, this will be a huge boon for the mobile community if we can come up with a, a playbook for folks to think about how they can potentially add React Native to their native apps in a way such that they don't run into the problems that Airbnb ran into. Tell me about how development proceeds on these different mobile apps. Maybe you want to pick a case study 
and just tell me about like what do the developers on the team need to know? What does their development life cycle look like? What does the release process look like? Sure. I mean, I think the first thing to talk about, though, in terms of expertise is the teams we're building now are actually a combination of people from the web, so with React backgrounds, and mobile engineers, either Android or iOS. So the teams are have been that we've that we've put together at Shopify have been a combination. And I think it's important that you do get a team with that sort of combination because there's something about understanding how mobile works, understanding what experiences users expect that really makes a difference even when you're building in React Native. So I, so I don't want to discount anybody's anybody who's listening to this and is a mobile engineer and throwing their hands up in the air and saying, oh my God, I got to learn a new framework. All of that experience is still hyper relevant in this, in this world of React Native because of all the expectations of the user and knowing what's possible. There are some great uh, blog posts from other companies who have moved to React Native and just said that it is really important to stay close to mobile. I think the other thing that's interesting is the mobile engineers are learning a lot from the, the web engineers who, who are or the React engineers coming to React Native because they bring with them this reactive programming mindset that the mobile engineers may not necessarily be familiar with. So you're, you're learning how to build things in this new way. And we've had multiple internal talks at Shopify for mobile engineers who say that they, they enjoy building React native apps more than they ever did building native apps. So I think that's important. In terms of the development environment, like, like I mentioned earlier, it's we try to do as much as possible in the React Native world, because that makes the entire lifecycle easier. The develop, I don't think the, the deployment process through the app stores um, is, is that different. One piece of advice I will give to teams thinking of adopting this is, and this is something that we, 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 follow, we didn't always follow, so I think you know, it's, it's a learning for us, is when you're building things in React Native, the, I think what happens to most teams is that they try to focus on one platform at a time. And I think that in, in React Native world, that may end up being a mistake because you may run into issues later on because you weren't thinking about the other platform. So my advice to teams starting out is really start and deploy to both platforms from the beginning. That'll not get you into um, a weird situation where you have to significantly make changes because you, you forgot about Android, for example. Are there times where the... React Native tooling does not play nice with the mobile platform and you end up with these strange bugs that are hard to interpret? I still think that's probably one of the areas in which a lot more work has to be done on React Native. So the debugging environment, I would say, is not as good as native. You definitely have a, a richer tool chain in native development. You know, you're either uh, in Xcode or Android Studio. And so you've got a, a much more direct way to understand what's going on in the underlying system. And in React Native, you've got a much deeper call stack to navigate. And so that can be harder. I think that's probably one of the main concerns I get from mobile engineers when they're doing debugging. And that can lead to some, you know, in some cases, some hairy problems. You know, we saw, I think it was Discord who came out saying that they were they, they had to build a new open source library to focus on fast lists. So lists are something that maybe forever will be something that people compare on native and React Native. 
because it is something that is quite optimized in these native platforms and not always as performant in React Native. And so you have multiple implementations from different companies trying to build faster list implementations that um, recycle memory better. And that's something that I don't think will, maybe hopefully will go away at some point, but has not gone away yet in React Native. But I mentioned what I like, what I, what I'm really excited about is the ability for these cross, like these, these teams of people who wouldn't necessarily work together. You typically would have a separate mobile team and a separate web team. Now it's the same team. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version of my product. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product, like me, or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent that you need to accomplish your goals. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. We've also done several shows with the people who run G2i, Gabe Greenberg and the rest of his team. These are engineers who know about the React ecosystem, about the mobile ecosystem, about GraphQL, React Native... They know their stuff, and they run a great organization. In my personal experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works. They can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack, and you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash G2i to learn more about G2i. Thank you to G2i for being a great supporter of Software Engineering Daily, both as listeners and also as people who have contributed code that have helped me out in my projects. So if you want to get some additional help for your engineering projects, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash G2i. The Discord use case is particularly interesting to me. I should do a show about that. If there's, if, I don't know if you, if you know anybody from the Discord. I team. do. I know them. Yeah, okay. I can introduce you. Yeah, great. It's particularly interesting in light. I just did this show about Facebook Messenger and somebody from who there's a Facebook Messenger rewrite for iOS at least uh, recently. And at its peak, there were like. 130 people working on this rewrite, which is just kind <laughs> right. of kind of amazing. But I guess that's Facebook for you. They did not use React Native at all in the rewrite of Facebook Messenger, and I suppose the reason is because it's high utility. You know, it's a utility, right? It's a communications tool. Maybe the networking constraints, the responsiveness, just the lightning fast responsiveness you need that perhaps the offline capabilities these things make it so sensitive to use anything but native mobile on the other hand discord is also a communications app i realize you don't work at facebook and you don't work at discord but do you have any perspective on why react native maybe was not enough to satisfy the constraints of facebook messenger or or are there certain application domains that React Native perhaps is not ready for? 
Yeah, it's a re- it's a really good question, and I I did follow along because you know obviously I'm qu- quite connected to Facebook and chatted with those folks about this. So I think there's a few ways to think about it. I mean, one is you're right; it was a huge team that worked on 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 Messenger. I think the other thing I don't know if you got into this on the podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. Is that Facebook is still really focused on Objective C. So while mobile development, native mobile development on iOS has moved to Swift and on Android has moved to Kotlin. Facebook remained on Objective C, and I have it on good authority that some other popular iOS apps have also remained on Objective C for performance reasons. And so they really even feel that Swift, which is you know Apple's preferred environment for iOS development, they prefer to just still stay on Objective C. So they very they did very much care about performance, but I don't think that's a reason enough of a reason for them to have not looked at React Native. Now the the comparison is I'm pretty sure Discord. They're not as big as Facebook, right? I think Discord is about 250 million users or something like that. I don't know how many of them are on on mobile, but the, that team is three. There's three engineers that built the Discord mobile yeah, mobile app in React Native. So I'm not sure. I mean, I would love for you to have that conversation with them. I'm not sure what the, what all the differences are, but if you've ever played with the Discord iOS app, it is phenomenal. It is very performant. A lot of people talk about how they're so surprised. That it's uh, that it's React Native. Now another another example of one, and you should you could have this team on too, is the NFL. The NFL app is a top. I don't know the number. I'm gonna guess during the NFL season, top ten app. Uh, they did a rewrite a few years ago in React Native as well for iOS and Android, and that has video and people who care about scores because people who are betting. And there is all sorts of performance constraints on that type of application, and they also went React Native. So definitely good to chat with those teams and to figure out how they made those decisions. But you're right, like you said, maybe it's just Facebook, and their different companies have a different point of view. I mean, people would say that about Shopify. They're like, why did we build that in Ruby? They're like, oh, because it's Shopify. And is there some? Do you have a generalizable perspective about what are the kinds of applications that React Native is not ready for? So. In the blog post, I outlined a, a few areas, and I, I, as I learn more about React Native, I, I, I'll start to probably update that point of view. So one area where React Native is not good is when you've got hardware that has multiple cores, but the C, each core is not that speedy. So because React Native is not fully multi-threaded, it has quite, a few, I think it's got four threads or two, so you don't actually get any advantages from having multiple cores. So if you're doing a lot of work with Android hardware, for example, and you are trying to lower the cost of your hardware by having, or, or uh, worry about battery life, and you've got lower CPU speeds in exchange for more cores, that may not be a good trade-off for you to do on React Native because you're not gonna get the advantage of that power. And so you do have to then benchmark your application and worry about is that going to give you a great experience? So that's something to think about. The other one to think about is if you do have lots and lots of interactions with the hardware, because each connection to the hardware requires you to have a hardware module. And if you're building specific hardware and you need to build you know, a native module for each of those hardware components, you may run into issues where you're like, wow, I'm just really spending a lot of time in native code here. Am I getting the value out of React Native? Again, I'm not saying go away one or the other or the other, but actually take that into your analysis. What are the aspects of the React Native ecosystem that are changing the most right now? 
Well, one thing I'm very happy to see is that people are now coming out of the woodwork to talk about their experiences, right? So I didn't even know NFL was <laughs> React Native until I, I did my blog post. And then right after us, Coinbase went out and wrote their blog post saying, we're also going to React Native. And so you're starting to see these companies say, oh, by the way, we were doing this. I think even Amazon tweeted back to us saying we were doing React Native, of course, Microsoft. And so it was almost like a, you know, a hidden club. People didn't want to talk about it. We've, they've been getting these advantages, but because of the Airbnb, and it was a great detailed article, but because of that post, a lot of people felt like they couldn't uh, go out and go public about their infrastructure. So I think that's going away. So I'm very excited. I'm excited about all the training and people learning React and React Native that feel like they can now go between mobile and web. I think that's great. So you're seeing, especially in these ecosystems where a lot of people are coming out of boot camps and they're learning JavaScript, it's the number one language whenever I, you know, as you're, you're in tech as well, if somebody asks you what language should I learn, I don't know if you recommend JavaScript, but that's what I recommend now. Of and course. people, yeah. And that, so I think now you're able to have those same engineers be working on mobile apps. Like that's, that's amazing. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about people contributing to open source. Like I follow all the GitHub repos and there's a lot of activity happening pretty often. And so I think I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the community involvement. I'm really happy to see what Microsoft's been contributing back. I'm excited to continue our quest to contribute back whatever we learn in React Native. And I, and I love the, the company interactions. Like I mentioned that I know the people at NFL. I know the people at Discord. I know the people at Amazon now and at Microsoft and at Facebook. Like we're becoming a real big community about this. And so it's not just pinning this on one company like Facebook. A few specific questions about the development process, if I am developing a cross-platform React Native application and I'm just developing by myself, am I writing the React Native code first in iOS or should I write it first in Android or should I try to do both of them at the same time? Let's say I'm a React Native developer and I just I'm hacking together a cross-platform app by myself. Where should I begin? Yeah, so I think the way to think about it is you're going to write your application in React Native. So you're writing it in JavaScript and you're using React Native instead of React as your JavaScript libraries. But what I'm what I mentioned earlier is that you should deploy and test on both iOS and Android from the beginning, and that could even just be the iOS and Android simulators on your PC. And that will allow you to see how the app performs and behaves on those because I think what happens to some teams is they go down the path too far on one platform and it's probably okay if you end up not interacting with the hardware or using hardware modules or building any native modules. But if you do do any of those things, you'll, you may go down a path where you're like, oh crap, if I had just used this other platform earlier. And here's a, here's a good example. I heard this from another engineering team that I was chatting with over, I think it was over Twitter, where they had locked themselves into a notification framework that was just iOS because they didn't realize later on that that wasn't one that also worked for Android. So I think it's just something that if you early on know you're going to be using it for cross-platform. And again, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Discord uses React Native for just iOS. So it isn't the case that the only reason to use React Native is cross-platform. It is a really good reason, but in the Discord example, they do Android natively, but iOS using React Native. Tell me more about how React Native has changed the structure of the mobile teams. Sure. I mean, there's going to be a few things we're going to see over the next, over the next few months because 
as we build up these teams to be incorporated around React Native, we're starting to see a different level of experience. So I mentioned earlier, having JavaScript and React folks come to the team, that's been super helpful. Mobile engineers coming to the team, that's super helpful. I think one thing we're gonna notice a lot more is the deep infrastructure investments in React Native. So, so one example is there are companies now that build like databases just for React Native, right? So you you know on mobile you have like a SQLite for example, you have Realm which is a React Native database. I think you're going to see more investment into those areas, and maybe even companies like ours or Microsoft or others might want to make a reinvestment in that area. So the teams will not just be focused on the user-facing side of mobile apps, they're also going to start thinking about the infrastructure side. So at Shopify, for example, we have a mobile tooling team, we have a mobile foundations team that these two teams focus on the developer experience and also the core components that other teams can use. So I think the structure of the teams is going to mimic what we have in the native development world, but because they're focused on React Native and the engineers can come from not only the mobile world, but also the web world, I think we're going to see much more infrastructure investment there. I also think that the hardware modules that are already existing on native mobile will all become enabled in React Native over time. Like I mentioned SQLite, there's already an effort to get SQLite working on React Native. And I'd like to get your perspective on just what it's like to be a VP of engineering in the midst of this dramatic change to how teams are working the the changes due to the virus covid-19 has it affected severely how you and your teams are working it's a complete 180 for us we're a company that really believes like shopify is a company that really believes in that like great collaborative work requires some level of in-person work and so for us we definitely have teams that have always worked remote definitely in production engineering but we also have teams that had to rediscover a new way of working due to COVID-19. And so, you know, we've been remote now for actually, I think it's two weeks tomorrow. So we've been remote. We're learning new cadences. We're learning new ways to use Slack. We're learning about how to use Hangouts and Zoom in a more effective way to be social, not just talk about work. We're figuring out ways to just hang out and have fun. Like we're doing lunches over um, Zoom. I mean, I've got, uh, I have almost like every night, I've got like a different dinner over Zoom with people that I was, we were gonna meet with. And so I think, yeah, like actually, you know, you might find this interesting. I have a dinner tomorrow night with like 18 other VP engineerings that are all over the world. And we're all having dinner at 9 p.m. Eastern (laughs) over Zoom. So to have a conversation just like we would in person. So I think everything has changed. Now, one thing I, I like about this is that I'm a big fan of like anti-fragility. Like I'm a big fan of trying new ways to tr- do something because I think there will be learnings that we will take back, even though we will eventually go back into our offices that I think will make the team stronger. We were already a distributed team, but we were not a remote team. And can you just tell me more about what is the function of a VP of engineering at at Shopify? Like, I think VP of engineering is a role that can encompass a lot of different things. I'd just like to know what you're focused on right now and what the mission of a VP of engineering is more generally. Sure. It's a good question. And I think it is actually quite different in every company. So for me at Shopify, I focus on a few things. One is air traffic control. 
So there's lots going on in the in the company. And my role is to unblock people if they do get blocked. And that could be resource constraints. That could be like helping people. Like the, if you're resource constrained in one area, maybe I can get resources from another. A lot of my time is spent on recruiting. I spent a lot of time with people internal and external to Shopify thinking about where what they could be doing differently such that they could have a high, you know, higher effectiveness at Shopify. And if that's external, that means maybe they sh- you know, I can convince them to come work with us. If it's internal, maybe I can move people around for things that they're aligned to working on. Um, there's a lot of time spent on understanding the craft. So I'm a, you know, my background is from like Pivotal, Pivotal Labs. My, you know, a few companies ago, my company was acquired by them. And so I'm a big fan of understanding when process can enable things and when process can hurt things. And so I'm a big fan of trying to figure out where the roadblocks are and helping understand by asking questions, is there a different way to do something? So I don't know. I mean, there's in any different, any day could be different. Like today, for example, most of my day is filled with meetings, doing lots of one-on-ones with folks, thinking about our product roadmaps, doing recruiting meetings, which means like meeting people external and trying to be always uh, available on Slack to see if I can unblock anybody on any issues that they might be having. Well, just to close off, since we've been exploring React Native, tell me what your predictions are for how it's going to affect Shopify going forward. So I think I'm very excited to see how much more effective we can be as a, as a company developing on mobile. And what that means for me is really focusing on the speed at which we can build things, the speed at which we can experiment, how different parts of the organization can contribute now that we've got more of a shared shared background experience. Like I mentioned, we have, I mean, we're a, we're a company that develops lots of software for the web, lots of people who know React, having those people come across and contribute to mobile. I'm also very excited to, on the mobile tooling and foundation side, to see how much more effective we can make our mobile ecosystem. And then lastly, I can't wait to contribute back. I really want to, you know, focus Shopify on owning some of the React Native community modules, talk, spending a lot more time with Facebook, Microsoft, and others on that ecosystem, and making sure that we can make this a much more effective environment for mobile engineers all over the world and building anything that they want to build for, for their users. Farhan, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really great talking to you. No problem. And then just to sign off, we're always hiring at Shopify and I'm actually hiring a principal engineer in mobile. So <laughs> All right. anybody who's yeah, anybody who's interested can check out Shopify.com slash careers. All right, great. Well thanks, Farhan, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jeff. Over the last few months, I've started hearing about retool. Every business needs internal tools, but if we're being honest, I don't know of many engineers who really enjoy building internal tools. It can be hard to get engineering resources to build back-office applications, and it's definitely hard to get engineers excited about maintaining those back-office applications. Companies like DoorDash and Brex and Amazon use Retool to build custom internal tools faster. The idea is that internal tools mostly look the same. They're made out of tables and drop-downs and buttons and text inputs. Retool gives you a drag-and-drop interface so engineers can build these internal UIs in hours, not days. And they can spend more time building features that customers will see. 
Retool connects to any database and API. For example, if you want to pull in data from Postgres, you just write a SQL query. You drag a table onto the canvas. If you want to try out Retool, you can go to retool.com slash sedaily. That's R-E-T-O-O-L dot com slash sedaily. And you can even host Retool on-premise if you want to keep it ultra-secure. I've heard a lot of good things about Retool from engineers who I respect. So check it out at retool.com slash sedaily. <laughs> 